Welcome to the CDA's annual conference podcast series. I'm Dr. Carrie Purdy. I'm a dermatologist in Halifax, Nova Scotia. We're here on the floor of the Canadian Dermatology Association's 2019 annual conference in Calgary, Alberta. This is an opportunity for me to have some more in-depth chats with some of our speakers and attendees at the conference. And please pardon me, anyone that knows German, this is a terrible... Uh, <laughs> Sven Maltajun. Yes, very uh, good. Yes, thank you. He has a clinical focus on occupational dermatology, epidemiology, and allergy. He's a leader in the prevention of occupational skin diseases with an emphasis on workers' education strategies through an approach known as the Onsbruck model, which I'm told directly translates to Oxbridge model. So I learned something new. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. Yes, a great pleasure. Um, we feel that um, occupational dermatology is a neglected field. And interestingly, this is also what the UN feels, feels because um, uh, they have decided to make the world a better place. And they call this the Sustainable Development Goals 2030. Until then, they are going to achieve their goals. And the International Labour Organization and the World Health Organization have, um, for that reason, decided which areas have been neglected so far. Okay. And they discovered that occupational diseases have been neglected. And they set a list of 10 priorities. And one of it is occupational UV-inflicted skin cancer in outdoor workers. Right. So at the moment, um, I'm coordinating a group of scientists all over the world in order to dis determine and assess the global disease burden of occupational skin cancer. That's very cool. So this is a very good time to be an occupational medical specialist, a specialist, I would imagine. Quite so. So tell me, what originally got you into the field of um, occupational skin diseases, occupational medicine? What originally drew you to that area? Yes, well, maybe we should first have a definition of what are occupational skin diseases and the most frequently frequent are certainly uh, contact dermatitis right and s occupational skin cancer particularly due to uv exposure at the workplace yes and um, we when i was do my, doing my dermatology training we saw patients with chronic contact dermatitis which came into the hospital, were treated, got back and got better, and then they got back to the workplace, and it started all over again. Right. So we were considering what could be done in order to make sure that there is sustainable effort, and then we detected teaching, and we felt that obviously it's extremely important to have a proper diagnosis. And that particularly means patch testing if you have somebody with contact dermatitis. But then also you need to provide him with everything which is being needed for proper protection and particularly with the knowledge of how to do it and where are the risks uh, he's running at his workplace. And that has, been, has to be done individually. And uh, we started off with some very few professions like, for instance, hairdressing. Mm -hmm. And they were so amazingly successful that then we opened up our clinics for basically all professions that run hazards for developing contact dermatitis, and that's quite many. That's very cool. I want to break that down. I want to come back to two things. First, uh, I understand that you work at a hospital that is specifically for contact dermatitis. How large is your hospital, just for a sense of what 
you know, we, we may have one fridge in a clinic and, and we do some patches or, or there's people like Dr. Pratt and Scott Nicky in Sassville that do, or Jacobin that do big, um, you know, uh, occupational clinics. But what does, a, what does a contact dermatized hospital look like? Well, you wouldn't believe it, actually. Uh, we do not refrain from taking patients with contact dermatitis as inpatients. Wow. Of, for, of obviously only if it's really severe. Right. And if it has been um, um, an ongoing thing. But then we feel that on the one hand, we have the possibility to keep them completely away from any kind of um, skin hazardous influences, even in the private life. We have the option of really doing very proper diagnosis, as I said, including patch testing. And we have the option of um, having an intensive training with them how to use um, skin protection. For instance, just to put on a glove without contaminating yourself is something which really needs to be trained. Uh, recently, our colleagues in Denmark have done uh, this experiment with hairdressers, with experienced hairdressers, and 100% couldn't do it. Wow. So I was going to come back to that very idea, which is how do you go about teaching some of these skills to the different uh, people that you're working with, so the different occupations? How do you teach the skills so that, such that they are able to make lifestyle changes and workplace changes where they can maintain avoidance of their culprit allergens? Yes, that's a very good question. And obviously, if this is some kind of a one-directional communication, it wouldn't work. Um, obviously, you have to f speak to them in a way that they understand it and that you work up their specific workplace situation with them and then find the best way of um, uh, what could be options for protection and then they have to practice it. Right. So it's very important not only to speak to them but uh, to work together with them to have them basically f do their daily duties and have them find out which, for instance, glove works best for them. If there's a glove producer which only has one or three sizes and you've got a female with small hands, well, then that probably wouldn't work. Sometimes even the color makes a difference. But obviously the main thing is actually how they feel and how they can be used for the various purposes at workplaces. But you really have to take the time um, to find out with them together what is the best for them and then have them practice with it and see if it works or not. And if not, then it needs to be replaced and you have to go as long as you find the right a proper way of protecting them. And I guess we're talking a lot at this conference and just in general in dermatology these days about the, the global aspect or the difficult to reach um, regional or, or more rural patients or people that maybe have a different socioeconomic status and they're not able to access care in the same way. Um, I'm wondering if you in your occupational practice utilize any of these tools like telemedicine or any of these more uh, techno technology advances that we've been thinking about? Uh, are you applying any of these techniques in your practice? No. But then, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but then we know that this would be the future. Okay. And we are applying for grants in order to start with this. But there's two things actually which um, at the moment has prevented us from doing this, even though we feel it would be very good to have it. The one thing is that we don't have the huge distances um, that you have in Canada. So yes. people can come back to the clinic, and that's what they do. Right. We always have them back once they are... Um, 
um, discharge from the ward uh, to come back within three weeks. Um, usually, actually, it's a it's a range of six weeks. We have them out of their jobs, and you may say, well, that's a long time. But if you have had a chronic contact dermatitis, you will have had sick leave um, days um, piling up, and six weeks is not that long. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing, actually, it has worked out extremely well for these workers. We can show actually that we um, can get 70% back to work with severe chronic contact dermatitis. And wow. this is due to the fact that we really use all the option that we really use all the options which are there at the moment. And um, we feel that the data which you find in the literature that chronic contact dermatitis is more or less uncurable is due to the fact that dermatologists yet in many countries do not have the options to deliver the best possible care for these patients. And obviously, if you look for the native cause, um, let's say of syphilis or HIV, it's death. And that's why you do everything to avoid that one. And even though hand eczema is not lethal, it does pr- produce an enormous amount of quality of life. So we feel it would be worth doing it. And obviously, regardless what your social insurance system is laid out, somebody always has to pay the bill if you miss out on prevention. So our right. security system or social security system is laid out in a way that there is a specific branch, which we call the accident insurance, okay. which is responsible for all medical activities, but also for uh, covering the cost of retraining, um, which are occupationally inflicted. So for that reason, they do feel very well if they miss out on prevention because it gets expensive for them and they have to pay the retraining which may be up to 100,000 euros and you can do a lot of prevention of dermatological prevention with that so for that reason actually they save altogether uh, about 10 million euros a year uh, due to the efficacy of these kind of dermatological preventive measures Wow, that's that's really exciting, and I think you know when you're trying to make changes at a government level or at a policy level, then having those cost-effective numbers and and statistics is really helpful to make your case. So I guess if I'm thinking about the global community, the global dermatology community, would there be ways that we could help to to roll that out or move those types of initiatives forward, or what do you think might work? Well, quite clearly, and that is the opinion of the WHO, the first thing we all have to do is to make sure that those cases are notified to the authorities. And we've discussed this with uh, WHO for quite some time, and um, they are absolutely behind it. And now with the ICD-11, the International Code of Diseases, which has been adopted by the World Health Assembly just a month ago on the 25th of May 2019. we have the widest spread ever of coding options for dermatological diagnoses, but not enough with this. If you code for irritant or allergic contact dermatitis, as well as if you code for skin cancer, Mm -hmm. you will be asked whether this is occupational or not. And this has been done by WHO because they feel that this is the way to reveal the true magnitude of these diseases. Just to give you an idea, in Germany, where for the particularities of our uh, social insurance system, 
all these cases are very well documented and dermatologists and others who do report the cases um, do um, get a honorarium for that. Okay. And for that reason, we have a glimpse of what is the magnitude of the problem. We can clearly say the most frequent occupational disease is contact dermatitis, which is something like 24,000 cases a year, which is um, about 30% of all notifications of occupational diseases. And then skin cancer is about 10% of all um, notifications of occupational diseases with some nine to 10,000 cases a year. So we oh. know that this gives dermatology a very strong um, importance because it's almost 50% of all occupational diseases. And it is quite likely that this would be the case in other industrial nations too. But in most of these nations, it's not known. And that's why the idea of the WHO is with this kind of new coding option, um. making clear that it could be occupational, um, it would definitely help to reveal the true magnitude of the problem. Absolutely. And I think you said you had also presented some information yesterday, just looking at the um, or the skin cancer UV radiation side in Canada. Looking at, I, I think there has been a, a little bit of um, a study in in that area in Canada, but but clearly not along the same lines that that you have been looking at in Germany. Well, but I think uh, fantastic work has been done uh, for the first time in Canada that uh, different provinces um, were. Um, uh, par taking part in the trial to determine the UV exposure in outdoor workplaces in Canada. Right. And it was quite clear that in all these outdoor workplaces, even though you might say we are um, a high latitude, low UV in, uh, exposure country, the exposure of these workers was five times above the international threshold level regularly, right. which is in the range of 6.1 standard erythematosus. That was the average. 86% um, of all the workers were above the threshold level. Wow. And 10% of those workers were even 10 times above the threshold level. Now, UV is a carcinogen. It's a group one carcinogen by WHO and IARC. And it, it's group one means it's a definite carcinogen to humans, and it's in the same group like plutonium, asbestos, and arsenic. So we will hope we will hope quite a lot actually that there is no other occupational carcinogens where threshold levels are being exceeded as much as uh, in in the case of UV. Yeah, I mean I can't imagine a nuclear power plant whereby uh, ten times the normal amount allowable amount of plutonium exposure was happening. It is, it is that's, that's absurd. Um, and I think one of the provinces that were on the slightly higher side was Nova Scotia, which is where I'm from. And, mm. and I will say as well, a lot of Nova Scotians have a Celtic background, they have fair skin, they have red hair, they're easy to burn. And so I, knowing that they're getting increased exposure, plus they have um, a skin type that would in increase their risk of skin cancer to begin with is, is kind of scary when you think about it. Yes, indeed it is actually, and it's costly. Um, there's also um, a, a recent publication out which shows the health economic Im impact of this in Canada. And um, it's expected that it's about 1.5 million workers that are outdoor workers, which is 10% of your workforce. And that something like 4,500 
cases of solar UV inflicted occupational skin cancer will occur a year and that would be something like 30 million Canadian dollars a year. It's a lot of money. You know, I could do a lot with 30 million dollars. Um, what do you which countries do you think right now are doing the best job at protecting outdoor workers from occupational UV exposure or is there a model that seems to be the gold standard? Well, I do have my problems in claiming that uh, Germany seems to be at the moment, but I can explain it. Okay. It's the social insurance system where there's a second se separate branch of our social insurance, which is the accident insurance, which is responsible for all medical right. costs if they, are, if they are occupationally inflicted diseases okay. and for all costs of retraining and for all costs of compensation. Okay. And for that reason, they take an em enormously great interest um, in making sure that these cases do not occur. Mm -hmm. um, but still, even our country, in, for instance, the construction sector, which is one of the big sectors where you have problems, um, it is not at the moment um, uh, regularly happening that outdoor workers are screened. That is what we dermatologists feel is absolutely important. If you've been out in Ontario for 10 years as an outdoor worker, you are definitely in a high-risk population to require to acquire skin cancer. So for that reason, you should be regularly screened. And that doesn't even happen in Germany. But we can say that um, we managed to have this occupational disease recognized as such right. in 2015. And since then, it's driving prevention. So that might be very very helpful if um, these diseases are being included in the national list of occupational diseases yeah. well then obviously it will be easier to get um, uh, into action what we feel to have better workplace protection yes. to have dermatological screening yeah. and also if it happens then to have compensation schemes for these workers and what can be helpful in this context is that the International Labour Organization has a list of occupational diseases which basically the member states have to adopt but not all of them did mm -hmm. and in this list quite clearly it said that they have um, diseases by optical radiation and um, they um, summarize occupational skin cancer amongst them and I'm in a group with ILO actually uh, which um, provide expert guidance um, on the diseases included in those lists and obviously we quite explicitly have taken occupational skin cancer in this one as well so we hope from that there will be an improvement well I think so and you know it's interesting I was uh, it must not have been yesterday because it was raining here but the day before I was just walking down the street to get a little bit of air and there were some construction workers out and none of them had a shirt on none of them had a hat on none of them had sunglasses on and I'm gonna bet that none of them had sunscreen on and so I was looking at that saying Oh my goodness, that is just like a skin cancer party waiting to happen. And so, you know, I think maybe some of these things will make changes in terms of, you know, protective uh, hats, clothing, UPF clothing, things like that. I just want to ask you sort of one other question, which is, you know, I'm a dermatologist in a community practice predominantly in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I don't have a great occupational uh, place to refer patients to that's nearby. What do you think may be a couple of things that I could do with my own patients to try to best improve their outcomes after different occupational skin problems? 
Well, yes, I think the most important thing is to notify authorities. And we have designed notification forms which can be used multipurposely in, in any country. And you can notify the cases anonymously in order to make sure that you do not violate any kind of data protection problems. Okay. But so that the authorities know, and then basically they would have to ask you for more details and would have to, um, um, well, improve the options for you um, to deal with these patients and to give them advice to um, make sure that they um, are linked to some kind of teaching facilities in order right. to know what happens. And uh, really basically um, letting the authorities know and making sure that they understand that there really is a problem. If there is no notifications for our politicians, that means there's no problem. But if there are notifications, well, then in the end, they will not find a way around it. And they will have, um, necessarily will have to implement ways to help the workers. And on the other hand, we do have the problem in most industrialized countries that social insurance systems um, are working at the border. Mm -hmm. And these are tremendous costs that come up. And I mean, there's very few cancers which you can diagnose so easily and which you can avoid so easily and so cheaply, right. like skin cancer. So for that reason, if it wouldn't be possible actually to do something against that, then I wonder against what it should be possible. I totally agree. Is there anything else that you think our listeners should hear that maybe they haven't heard yet? Yes, well, there's a new development. Um, psoriasis has now become the fifth non-communicable disease um, in the WHO ranking of non-communicable diseases. They only have four, actually, the four big ones, which you would expect, which is cancer, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and respiratory disease. And now if you look at the homepage of the fifth one, which is psoriasis, and we had an extremely lucky moment to get that there. And um, then, obviously, once the WHA, the parliament of the WHO has decided that, that this should be a fifth um, non-communicable disease, uh, then a global report has to be written up. It's a WHO global report on psoriasis. It's also uh, on the homepage, and I wrote it. And obviously, I put in that um, stigmatization of patients with psoriasis is a really great problem. Also, obviously, that GPs and uh, nurses don't really know how to deal with these patients and that this should be improved and they should be specifically taught. And also, that psoriasis um, can be... Um, um, aggravated by not sticking to diet, smoking, and so on. All this is in there. And we have gone to our National Ministry of Health, working together with patients' organizations, which is very helpful. Right. And they gave us a grant, actually, for scientifically working up uh, the problem of, of stigmatization and what could be done in order to reduce that. So basically, the idea is you could use that leverage in your country, too, because it's a member state of WHO. And if this is in such a report, they have to obey it. Right. Well, I want to ask one other question because I think it's nice to ask something that maybe isn't related to dermatology. Now, uh, if I were planning a trip to Germany, what area do you think I should definitely go visit? Well, I think Bavaria is the closest okay. to Canada. 
And Canada is the paradise and the loveliest country <laughs> in the world. So if you go to Germany, just have a look at Bavaria. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I really enjoyed our chat and uh, I look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Very good. Thank you very much. Great pleasure for me. Sven Maltayun, also I'm apparently able to call him Dr. John, is an expert in occupational dermatology, epidemiology and allergy He's been here at the Canadian Dermatology Annual Conference 2019 presenting on occupational skin diseases with an emphasis on workers' education strategies. Thanks for joining us for this episode. That's it. Make sure you hit subscribe so you're notified when new episodes are released. From the floor of the 2019 CDA Annual Conference in Calgary, I'm Dr. Carrie Purdy. Thanks so much for listening.